Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the world's cricket show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm in an upbeat, bouncy mood this afternoon. And the curmudgeon alongside me, bringing the whole thing down, is the poor man's Bob Willis, the very poor man, the destitute man's Bob Willis, Tony Kerr. <laughs> I think I've just pulled a series of sort of Trump faces there, just sort of wriggling under the pressure of that intro. Yeah, pretty harsh, mate. They were good faces you were pulling. Very, just like, I wish I'd filmed it. They were very gifable. Yeah. Gifable faces. Just as each page of the takedown unfurled. <laughs> yeah, it was a real story there. But how are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm not too bad. How's it going with you? Top of the world, yeah. I've eaten, which is great. I haven't been in a rush at all today. I've watched all the highlights that you sent. Uh, I've not had a shower, but... Yeah, I yeah, noticed. There is, yes, you can't have it all, really. <laughs> I had to sacrifice some things in pursuit of... And when a, you say you can't have it all, you mean me specifically. <laughs> yeah. I can't have it all Yeah, when it comes to you. So I think I'm in great shape, mate. Prep-wise, I am in great shape. You haven't tidied up the studio. There's, like, there's, there's a suitcase open in here, clothes spilling out. <laughs> there's just clothes everywhere, really. It's getting harder and harder to get in here. There is method to that, though. You know, I was like, should I tidy up the clothes? But then, actually, you know, they serve as dampener, don't they, for the uh, for the audio quality? So I'm really thinking of the audio quality, thinking of the listener. That's a very good point. Uh, when I strewn the clothes, sort of hang them off various objects, and the listeners don't suffer from you not having a shower either. So, really, as far as they're concerned, it's all coming up great. Oh, well, that's good. What do you want to talk about this week? Cricket. I did see the, well, you sent me the agenda, uh, yeah. sort of like, it's like some sort of like budget exam with a few questions uh, and topics to explore. Uh, Talking points. The one thing I haven't done uh, is the uh, post-Atherton 11. Have we, I'm sure we must have done a post-Atherton 11 in our 320-odd episodes. So we, on the last episode, we trailed the fact that we'd be doing a some kind of composite 11 on this show we didn't actually reveal what it would be i was gonna save that surprise for the end but you've you know you've blown it now Tim. yeah uh it's yeah we I've, we're putting together a post atherton england 11 so a post 1994 england 11 are you telling me we've not done that well what i'm telling you is i can't remember <laughs> if we've done that i think we maybe did do it six or seven years ago but you know things have changed since then it's almost like the uh, the sort of tennis goat debate, isn't it? You sort of you do have to return to it almost on a you know a twice yearly basis. Plus, come on, mate, we're three hundred twenty six episodes in now. We just need content, and if yeah. we have to do the same content that we've done before, but no, you haven't done that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. But much like every lesson I ever uh, took part in at school, I'll do the homework during the lesson <laughs> and hand it in at the end. If that's all right. And put your pens down. So I won't be concentrating at all on what you're saying. Put your pens down. In the pod. Tony Kerr at the back. Pens down. I can see you're already looking at your laptop, actually. I like the fact that you said you saw the agenda as though, like, the agenda is some sort of <laughs> memo that's, like, handed around to all our staff. <laughs> Pinned on the notice board. Like, I sent you a series of messages which constituted the agenda. If you hadn't seen the agenda, I'd be surprised. Yeah. I took it all in, absorbed it. Well, well no, you didn't. T- well, you may have I took it in. I didn't it. do it. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> didn't carry it out. But well, there's uh, there's one thing that's coming up later on in the show. Then our post Atherton England 11s, if Tony manages to put his together uh, while I'm speaking. But what else is coming up on the show today? There's various 
bits and bobs to catch up on from around the cricketing world. England are in Sri Lanka, and there's an ODI going on right now. Or is there? Uh, coming into this, I thought that the third ODI had been washed out. But in actual fact, they're, they're now saying there's going to be a 21 overs per side game. By the time people are listening to this, they will know whether or not they managed to get a game in or whether the rain returned. Uh, but it starts in two minutes' time from when we're recording this. So we can give some uh, extremely uh, relevant to the listeners' live updates as we go through. So that's one thing to talk about. Australia are in the UAE playing Pakistan. There's a test match going on there right now as well. I'm beginning to think that maybe this wasn't the best day to record this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got to look back on uh, on the first test from that series as well. And some other stuff to talk about too. Some Still got some questions from listeners to tackle. So are you ready for all of that? It looks like you're typing away there. Are you are you starting to put that eleven together? Are you sort of mulling things over, checking the stats? Uh, no, I'm just sort of I'm going, you know, from uh, memory. I'm trying to name eleven England Test cricketers at the moment, and then I'll <laughs> then I'll distill those that list into uh, an eleven if I can reach that number. Based on what your memory's like, Tone, I imagine your eleven's going to be Alistair Cook, Keaton Jennings, yeah. Joss. There's Butler. definitely a sort of recency bias. Is that the expression? Mm. Yeah. There's an element of that so far. But anyway, carry on. All will be revealed. I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this tone. The way that you're like, carry on, carry on with your podcast and I'll, um, I'll, I'll just do it. You know, no, you need- that's fine. I'll just, it, just when you go off on one, that's when I'll just turn down and stuff. But when you want me to, you know, I'll be, I'll, I can... I can balance the tasks quite well. This might be a good system, actually, like considering our rapidly expanding podcast empire tone, the three podcasts that we have. You're always rushing around. I'm always rushing around, finding time to do these podcasts. You know, maybe we ought to just like, whenever one of us isn't speaking, the other one could be recording his bit (laughs) for the little film podcast. Just getting it in. Do you think that would work? Well, look, I'm confident I can put together this England uh, post-Atherton. Come on. A star is born. All right, so when we come to the section of my notes, the section of the agenda marked content, the first bit of content that I want us to tackle is the test series between Pakistan and Australia. Australia in the UAE to play Pakistan. And as I say, they're in the middle of their second and final test match as we speak. The second day has just finished. The first test was a pretty extraordinary game. Pakistan batting first made 482 and Australia were then bowled out for 202. So a huge first innings lead for Pakistan of 280. They declared on 181 for six, uh, which set Australia a notional target, but more importantly, 140 overs to try and survive. But quite remarkably, they managed to do just that. Usman Khawaja with a phenomenal 141 from 302 balls, Travis Head and Tim Payne with some tremendous resistance as well. And they did bat out 139.5 overs. And with two wickets still in hand, uh, they shook hands at the end. So Australia pulled off a remarkable draw. Uh, And a weird stat here, Tony, that's the first draw between Pakistan and Australia in Test cricket since 1998. They've played 19 tests in between and all of them were results. Um, So that was a phenomenal game, huge celebrations in Australia, sort of great triumph of a draw. It's not going quite so well for the Aussies in the second test in Abu Dhabi. Well, it seemed to be going very well when Nathan Lyon took four wickets and six balls and Pakistan were 57 for five, but Safraz, Ahmed and Fakar Zaman on debut, both weirdly hitting 94, uh, got Pakistan up to 282. And then Mohamed Abbas took five wickets as Australia were bowled out for 145 and at stumps on day two. Pakistan are 144 for two, a lead of 281 runs. So that is looking uh, like a tough ask for Australia with three days still to play. We'll come on to that game, uh, but just focusing on the test in Dubai, first of all. I mean, this was an extraordinary test match today. I mean, one of the best... Actually, I I say this, I was going to say one of the best matches. I don't know about match necessarily, but like one of the best finishes. This seems to happen quite a bit in in these UAE games. Certainly happened in the first test of England series three years ago the first four days can be relatively dull and then the fifth day is suddenly incredibly exciting or incredibly tense. A great advert for Test cricket, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you say, day five certainly was in the sort of perverse enjoyment of Test cricket where you know, you're just trying to dig in and hold on rather than uh, actually win a match. Uh, 
yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, what preceded it, there were quite a few people uh, on day one and two saying basically like, this is just desperate <laughs> in terms of entertainment. Uh, yeah. So it is amazing how, yeah, I mean, a, a test match is a long time, mm. isn't it? And uh, yeah, a lot can change and certainly what happens right at the end can influence how people remember it. But yeah, exceptional stuff. You definitely got a sense on Twitter towards the end of day four and then obviously in, into day five that, you know, the buzz started to build and by the time Quadra had gone past 100 and was, uh, you know, continuing to stick it out, uh, yeah, there was the sense that something a little bit special was happening, even though no one was there to watch it live. Right, yeah. Uh, it's an that, odd one, isn't it? Well, it is an odd one, yeah. The, it's that, like the atmosphere. Petri dish cricket, really. Mm, like playing cricket in a vacuum. Yeah. Isn't that one of the great things about Test cricket, though, that not that you can play it with no atmosphere... <laughs> But that the, it can suddenly explode into life, like from nowhere. Like that, it's always possible. I suppose "explode" might be the wrong word in this case because it was a slow build from, you know, a feeling that it was just like going to be a very one-sided, very quick resolution on day five to suddenly like, well, actually, Australia might pull this off, and if they do, it will be one of the great rearguard actions. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was it was unbelievably tense on that final day. I, so, is it on? I don't think it is on BT, is it? I think it might be on like Star Sports okay. or some like, obscure Sky Channel. I haven't found a way. Perhaps listeners can tweet at us. I haven't found a way of watching this live in the UK. But I have been watching the highlights on YouTube. Actually, the, the highlights that are provided by some of the cricket boards are pretty good, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's the Pakistan Cricket Board providing yeah. sort of 25-minute highlights. They're very good. Although, I'm not sure that any TV channel has worked out how to show highlights of this kind of test match, of that kind of test cricket. Because the day five highlights, like yeah, they were they were mostly showing boundaries because that is what you would normally show. So they were showing like Kawaja occasionally swept the ball for a boundary or Tim Payne would inside edge one for four and they'd show that. But like 55 balls had gone by in between. It's like working out how you show highlights of people blocking it. Yeah. I'm not sure they've quite worked out how to do that. The other thing I noticed watching the highlights... Uh... And, you know, I'm probably the, the wrong age group for YouTube, even though I'd still <laughs> consider myself to be relatively young. Uh, I'm watching I, Dan TDM every day. <laughs> I don't watch a huge amount of stuff on YouTube. But the one thing that struck me, and I don't know if this is for everyone, because you never know with the internet, do you, whether you're, what you're seeing is what everyone else is seeing. But the unbelievable number of adverts. Yeah, I got that. Like, no wonder these bloody YouTubers are all driving around in like, Ferraris and <laughs> burning money, because it's like, it's absurd. It was like an advert every two to three minutes. And it was just annoying. It was like the way they're chucked. Anyway, this is, we'll talk about YouTube, I'm sure, another day. But, uh, <laughs> it's on our YouTube yeah. podcast. I, I can believe it. It's borderline unwatchable, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was so annoying. because oh, We're probably uh, having adverts inserted into our podcast at random intervals. Although I think you do set where the advert comes in. I do. Whereas on this, like, you know, uh, Yazir Shah would be sort of running into bowl and he'd just be releasing and then they would cut to an advert quite a lot louder than the volume of the actual thing I, i'm sounding really old now uh yeah it's just random turn it down <laughs> what adverts are you getting on, on your on your algorithm i got an advert for some ma magic the gathering video game <laughs> and i did used to play magic oh, i used to buy magic cards when i was about 11 but i didn't actually ever play it well it's all been logged doesn't it yeah exactly it they're is. watching me then yeah um so anyway that yeah that's what really struck me about that but quadra had a good innings as well didn't he fascinating stuff yeah um yes so anyway yeah we've both we've both watched extensive highlights of that test and it was as i say incredibly tense and it's a staggering achievement really from australia they had absolutely no right to draw that game it's the longest they've ever batted in the fourth innings of a test match or actually that's not quite right in the it's the longest in terms of overs but i think not the longest in terms of balls because there was one occasion when there used to be eight ball overs that they batted longer, but I mean, that in itself tells you that it's been a long time since they've batted that long in the fourth innings of a test match. It's the third most overs batted by any team in the fourth innings to get a draw. Uh, and yeah, you, you go down the scorecard and yeah, Kawadra batting 302 balls, Tim Payne 194 balls, Travis Head 175 balls, even Nathan Lyon right at the end with a vital effort saw off 34 balls. There was still best part of 10 overs to go when he came to the crease eight down. It's arguably my favourite kind of test cricket, that. It's a bit like a siege, isn't it? Like you, can, you can understand why sort of military history buffs get very animated about things like the siege of Malta. You know, like just the, the concept of defenders sort of valiantly standing firm against a barrage. You know, it's, 
Am I overdoing it? It's a bit like my role in the podcast. That's why Team Tony was so well supported. Uh, no, I completely agree. And yeah, the, you know, the the field is crowding the bat. You know, every ball is an event, uh, even more so probably than a than a T twenty match. Uh, it's just mm. sort of counting down towards the last sort of fifteen overs, ten overs. When start went early, uh, and I think it was a, a cracking catch at short leg. Uh, you kind of felt that at that point it had gone. So yeah, as you say, like the the, the quadra had obviously done the bulk of the work, but uh, yeah, impressive stuff. Yeah, you know, right. The death and quite quite funny as well. Seeing those guys, I think like Payne was like scampering through for like a, a quick two at one yeah. point in the last over in the final over, yeah. taking singles when he didn't really need to. He knocked one away for two and like they almost had to dive back in. But that's just, isn't that just because it's so deeply ingrained in your mentality as a batsman that it's just afraid if you if you cut one away into a big gap on the offside, it's like yeah, we'll take two there, and then you suddenly probably halfway through that first run he went why did I do that <laughs> but yeah I suppose as well that kind of speaks to the way Kawaja batted you know it was actually in many ways whilst it was a great defensive effort you know he was playing some shots and and kind of almost sticking to his mm. uh his natural game a bit uh and I, yeah, I suppose yeah that can be important rather than in your head thinking I've got to do this I've got to block out and not not and, and you sort of you play these kind of stop start shots it's just great to watch. Talking about the fielders around the bat, it's just great cricket to watch, isn't it, when it's like that? And as you remember, Tone, playing uh, cricket in the back garden, you'd get all the deck chairs around the bat, you know, and if you hit the deck chair, you're out. Immediately makes it very tense. It was just so exciting. Usman Kawaja, as we say, with arguably one of the best ever fourth innings batting efforts, just superhuman stuff, really. And made even more impressive, I think, by the fact that his record in Asia before this was pretty miserable. He averaged 14 in his five previous tests in Asia, top score of 26. He got runs in the first innings of this test match as well. I mean, he's always had a lot of potential, hasn't he, Kawadra? Buckets of potential, but hasn't really delivered on it. So it's exciting to see from an Australian perspective is, you know, perhaps this could finally be the start of him making good and yeah all right you know he's he's 31 so uh sorry to say tone he's not young anymore uh but yeah he may have left it a bit late but he could still have three four five years in front of him possible overreaction to one innings but it was such a good innings that you think well you know there's no reason why he can't be one of the best batsmen in the world if he can play in innings like that and well and certainly when you look at the situation australia are in uh, in terms of batting talent in the absence of Smith and, and Warner, it, it's sort of him establishing himself as the out-and-out class act in that mm-hmm. batting lineup. And as you say, yeah, you, you think if things can settle down for Australia again, you think, yeah, he could really really go on and, uh, and become a, a, a cracking force. Well, he certainly booked his place in the side for the Australian summer. You've touched on this already, Tim, but you know, it, it, was, it was a phenomenal test match or a phenomenal finish. From an Australian perspective, people have compared it to Old Trafford in 2005. You know, similar idea, rearguard action and and claiming a draw. It reminded me of some England escapes, you know, um, Auckland, Cardiff, Centurion, Cape Town. But it may not ultimately be remembered in the same breath as those games, if only because of where it was played. Because, as you say, yet again, absolutely nobody in the stadium in Dubai and it was this very kind of spooky atmosphere and despite the tension ratcheting on the field there is always this like slightly flat it's still a little bit flat or more flat than it should be because there's no one watching yeah it's it is strange obviously you know Pakistan haven't sort of chosen well I suppose they have chosen but it's you know it's circumstances beyond their control to a certain extent it's not their preference to play there no uh but it but it is odd and you sort of notice watching the the tv coverage you know the 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 director doesn't really have any option other than to show the wives and girlfriends yeah they were showing like loads in the highlight reel because presumably there's just not many other people to kind of reflect the tension or uh, you know what's going out in the middle, uh, which is it, it's an odd situation. I, I mean, I, there is uh, there has obviously been a few instances recently, haven't there, of, of matches being played limited overs games in Pakistan. So you'd, you'd hope it, it's not too far away. I still think it's a fairly remote possibility of having like a test match, an Australian yeah tour or England tour. Not that that's the be all and end all, but you know, I just I can't imagine that that test. It's going to be a long time before that fixture is played in Pakistan, you'd have to say, because it's 
well we've we've talked about this at length on previous episodes but i don't think it's that the security situation has changed all that much it's just that it's been so long since cricket was played there that they're just desperately trying to figure out a way of Mm. taking it back to pakistan but and i don't know what you can do about the uae situation like it they'll get crowds in for the limited overs games but for the tests you know the grounds are miles out of town and absolutely in the middle of nowhere there just isn't the market there that's you know the people that are willing to to go to a test match it, it just isn't happening and i mean I, they would be better off playing their home series in australia or england wouldn't they really mm. in terms of crowds yeah well they'd certainly get much bigger they'd certainly get a crowd in england wouldn't they but then they are maybe sort of seeding the home advantage the playing advantage but then that maybe that's worth it in terms of the wider cricketing perspective it does underline and we've seen this with what's happened in international football in the last week or so it underlines what is a very obvious point sport needs fans the england football teams matching croatia last week which uh, for anyone who's not aware was played behind closed doors as uh, part of croatia's punishment for uh, swastika being on the pitch at a game in uh, a couple of years ago so that was played behind closed doors completely empty stadium one of the weirdest games of football that I can remember, and I didn't watch all of it because it just it feels flat. It feels like it doesn't matter without the fans there. What's the point? It feels like to me, anyway. No, I agree. It 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 feels kind of irrelevant, doesn't it? Uh, you might as well just go and see someone having a kick around, which people don't tend to go and watch of their own accord. Which is weird because you know, watching the England game, that there's millions of other people watching the England game at home. And, you know, watching Pakistan-Australia, that there are millions of people around the world watching this game. But because there's no one in the stadium, it just feels like it, it doesn't matter. like ma- an exhibition, yeah. Yeah, it so- feels like it doesn't matter. In terms of this second test match, it's probably fair to say that it's not looking quite so great for Australia. I think in previewing the series, we both said that it would be a pretty extraordinary achievement if Australia got any kind of result here. It seems unlikely now that they will, you'd have to say, but they've put up purely because of what happened on that final day they've put up much more of a fight than I think we expected them to as you say no Smith no Warner no Hazelwood or Cummins either through injury they'll whatever happens in the remainder of this game in Abu Dhabi they will definitely take some positives out of this series even your mate Marnus Labashane taking some he hasn't scored many runs but he took some wickets he looks handy doesn't he with yeah. the ball uh, no I think there, there are some green shoots there for sure I, you know I like the fact that Finch is playing and he's and he's done well as well you know there are, there's obviously some weaknesses there you know Sean Marsh isn't in terrific form is he Mitchell Marsh batting at four yeah that, that drew some mirth didn't it from the uh the, the cricketing public so it, it's kind of like they're, they're sort of moving the deck chairs around a bit but there are positives there, and I, you know I think the the spirit in which they uh, yeah which they avoided defeat in that first test has got to get things moving in the right direction. It's kind of painted the Australian team in a different light off the back of all the, the sort of nonsense of the last few years. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Like as I say, it looks pretty unlikely that they're going to get away with anything other than a defeat in this game in Abu Dhabi. But uh, have you mentioned Lyon? Uh, not really. I did say he took four wickets and six balls. <laughs> so I was just concentrating on my uh, yeah. He was going to be batting at six. <laughs> my place that's it yeah uh, but yeah you know that his four and six balls was pretty awesome uh and what's he now fourth on the all-time list australian yeah he's Wicket behind takers. only warren mcgrath and dennis Lilly, so it's not not a, seriously impressive yeah not a bad yeah. list so yeah fair play to him because i think we've pretty much been doing this podcast as long as he's been playing cricket i think and we've probably written him off <laughs> more times than we can I, to remember I, I not think... written him off but you know like a lot of people i think it's taken him a while to I don't to know about, earn the respect. Yeah, no, that's true. People still don't rate him, even though he's taken 300-plus test wickets. But I, I, well, I don't know about you, Ten. I won't speak for you, but I feel like I've always stuck up for Lyon on this podcast. I felt, I, you know, didn't really understand why people didn't rate him. That Still, to some extent, there's the kind of uh, shadow of Warren over any Australian spin bowler. But in the last, what is it, seven years since he made his debut, Lyon's just been very reliable. And as we saw in the Ashes last winter, you know, he's more than that. One of Australia's big assets at this point. Just a very quick word on Pakistan. We'll maybe um, come back to them on the next show. But I just wanted to mention Mohamed Abbas, who has taken a five-week haul in uh, the second innings of this test. I mean, he's just a bit of a phenomenon, isn't he? He's quick, very quickly 
establishing himself as one of the best fast bowlers of the world in the world. This is his tenth Test match. He had took forty nine wickets in his first nine. I mean, yeah, he is the new Vernon Philander, isn't he? He's just got fantastic action, uh, a fantastic way about him that just looks bloody difficult to play. I think I would probably struggle myself <laughs> to uh, to fend him off. Uh, yeah, just an awesome start to his career. I mean, and he's, he did it in England massively, didn't he? What did he take eight eight for in the first Test? Mm. Yeah, it's not it's not a vintage Australian batting lineup, but yeah, all the you know all the same in. in not traditionally seem a friendly conditions, you know, smashing it up uh, in the UAE. It's going to be really exciting to see, yeah, to see him sort of develop over the next couple of years. And he had a great season of county cricket for Leicestershire as well. So he's a very exciting bowler. And you see Michael Vaughan today saying, uh, Mohamed Abbas would get me out within six pools every time. <laughs> so you're not the only one. I don't think I'd who... last that long, to be honest. <laughs> well, should we move on then, Tane? Let's uh, keep our, our journey around the world rolling on uh, and let's move round to Sri Lanka uh, where England's tour has got off to a fairly low-key start the first ODI in their five-match series was more or less completely washed out the second ODI was affected by weather as well but there was a result England batting first made 278 for nine uh, with Owen Morgan striking 92 from 91 balls in reply Sri Lanka were then 140 for five they were recovering a bit, having been 74 for five. Ollie Stone on debut with a wicket and Chris Wakes three for 26. Uh, but they were a long way behind the Duckworth Lewis target when the rain returned. Uh, and so England won the game on Duckworth Lewis by 31 runs. Now, what's happening in the third ODI zone? It's been affected by weather again. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it did look as though it was going to be a complete washout, but they seem to be getting a game in a 21 over a side match. I said to you before we started recording, I'm not quite sure why you'd play 21 overs. Just play a T20 at that point. For the sake of two overs, it does, you know, everyone knows what they're doing with a T20. Yeah, but that would just fry the stats, wouldn't it? People would get, I know it'd still count as a, an ODI. I, you know, I mean, it counts as an ODI, but I just mean, if you play 20 overs aside, everyone knows how to play what's that game. a good game. score. Yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, no, you're probably right. I don't know, but... Well, as we speak, Sri Lanka are 57 for one in the sixth over. So they've got they've got off to a, a good start. So we'll keep tabs on that as the pod goes on. But yeah, as I say, that first game was was almost completely washed out. You actually predicted that there would be a washout. <laughs> I think you predicted England would win the series 3-1 <laughs> with one match I don't match think we really looked at the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I phoned you to say uh, it was raining in Dambulla and you went, Yes! Uh, but unfortunately for you, that's kept raining. It might not be the only abandonment in the series. Not to talk about scheduling again, you know, because we do that a fair bit on this show. But how sensible is it to be scheduling cricket in Sri Lanka in October? Would you say? Well, it seems on the balance of this uh, this series so far to be uh, not that sensible, isn't it? I mean, <sighs> I mean, maybe they've just got unlucky with the weather. It, it's very possible to well, schedule well, cricket in England in July and get this kind of week. But it is the rainy it's season. On the, well, it's sort of on the cusp, isn't it, of the, the main rainy season, I think, or one of the two rainy seasons. Have you been Googling <laughs> Sri Lanka <laughs> yeah. climate as well? Because I have. I, I, googled, uh, Shri- I, I googled view Sri Lanka climate wet season October online website. And what did you find? And I found that uh, December to April is the dry season. Uh, and as you say, October is a kind of shoulder month into the wet season it's tough i mean it can't be that easy to to schedule international cricket i do i i sympathize with the uh the task at hand uh so i think there was a statement or some sort of response from the ecb who kind of you know put this down to the the complexities of the future tours program and trying to cram in all this stuff but it was described as uh in respect of touring Sri Lanka at this time of year, the Future Tours programme is congested, involving 13 boards whose schedules all interconnect. So there are unfortunately a number of tours that have to take place outside prime match staging periods, which is a bit of an understatement at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> It is just bloody frustrating, isn't it? You, you, sort of, you, you, you struggle to get too excited when any match could be curtailed at any moment or not even start. Yeah, and that it's probably going to end up being Duckworth Lewis. And uh, we've had this conversation before as we're just recycling content again. But the fact that um, in that second ODI, 
they actually managed to get in 79 overs, but it still ends up with a Duckworth Lewis, which is kind of unsatisfying because England batted their full 50 and you think, well, you do know that the rain's coming later. Why didn't they sort of play a 30 overs a side game? Just things that just things that are frustrating about cricket that they are quite inflexible sometimes. There are a couple of reserve days, I think, aren't there? Well, that, well as far as I know, uh, maybe I've misread this, but I think there was only a reserve day for that second ODI. Right. But again, they didn't... They had a reserve day for the second ODI, but it still ended on Duckworth Lewis because I guess they think we don't want to all have to come back tomorrow if we can avoid it. And, you know, as long as we can get what constitutes a game in. But uh, yeah, it's for sure. Why, why aren't there more reserve days? There's quite a lot of time. It's taking place over quite a lot of time this series. There's quite a lot of days in between these matches. It was what, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. You know, I don't really know why they couldn't have had a reserve day for this game that's happening today. You should be organising it. That's what I say. <laughs> that is what I've. That's what I set up this podcast <laughs> in the hopes of of doing at some point. I mean, in terms of the cricket itself, we haven't seen a lot of it, but uh, I would say Ollie Stone looked very handy on debut. I think I texted you after he'd bowled seven balls and said he's booked his place for the next ten years. Um, no, he did. He looked. He looked quick, didn't he? Very sharp, really quick. Uh, the wicket he got was a bouncer that just really surprised Dick Weller. And yeah, that, that pace is not really something that we've seen a lot of from England bowlers uh, in the last few years. So, you know, based on those seven balls, I would like to see him get a go in the Test Series as well. No, really exciting. I mean, yeah, the batsman definitely uh, hurried by what he was throwing down. Yeah, looks very exciting. In the batting, there's maybe a bit of a, a selection conundrum now, Tone, uh, with the openers because of Johnny Bairstow's emergence into a kind of ODI force. It did, you know, not so long ago, Roy and Hales was a very settled opening partnership, but Bairstow's muscled his way in there. And it's, they haven't necessarily had to, been forced to make a kind of stark decision until now because Root was injured or someone has been injured uh, at various times. But now they are having to make a decision between, you know, one out of Roy, Hales and Bairstow has to miss out. At the moment, it's Hales... Is you know is that the is that the correct choice? Do you think? I, I mean, I guess it's. it's well, the, I think so. I mean, Roy and Bester have both passed a thousand runs, haven't they, for the calendar year? Is that the first first time that two players from the same team have done it, or two openers maybe from the same side have done it? Good stat tone. Don't know. Might not be true. <laughs> I did see someone saying it's a good stat you've invented. Though. Yeah, uh, I saw a stat on Twitter that the in that Australia Pakistan match that it was the first time that two players have scored ninety four in the same inning. That's true. Which is just the most spectacularly pointless stat. <laughs> Although they they each scored ninety four, and the rest of the team between them also scored ninety four. Okay, that changed my mind. That is <laughs> a wonderful stat. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got to be the right decision because the the they're, they're playing well. So it's just sort of yeah, who's occupying the spot? You know, if Roy, if Roy, I mean, there's not that many games to go until the World Cup. Other there's there's this, and then the West Indies. Mm. You see how they go in in this series and against the West Indies, and then. And then make a call. That's quite. That's quite simple analysis. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I suppose it's the definition of a good problem to have mm. as well. But it, it's still a problem. It might be a good problem, but it's still a problem. Like, I, I, for me, I think yeah, Roy and Besto is the right combination out of those three. Hales is a brilliant player, but I'd put it, you know just at the moment I put Roy and Besto just slightly above him. But I do think it's still a problem, only in the sense that England have got to be a little bit careful about how they manage it and how they manage those three because. Although I agree with you, what you're kind of suggesting there is like you just see what form they're in and how they get and you know how they're going and and in, on any given day you make a call about who are the best two to play, but the, it can get a bit tricky because like for example, did Roy make a duck in the in the second ODI? Uh, yeah, naught from four balls. It's like if he fails again today or in the next game, you know it, it could be that you only need two or three failures and people are already saying well Hale should be playing. And then Hales comes in, a couple of failures. Well, why isn't Roy in the team? And, you know, if they start to get a bit panicky about their places, like we've seen, obviously competition is a good thing, but we've seen, we know how important it has been to move away from that constant fear that you're going to be dropped if you have one or two failures. And a huge part of England's success in the batting of the last few years has been that they've given their batsmen license. They've had the freedom to take risks and play fearless cricket and I'm not saying that this is the case now but there is a danger that you could get there if you start if the batsmen start to feel well I need to score some runs today otherwise I'm going to be dropped but 
you know, I, I guess they just the management just have to be careful about making sure that they're still saying to them, we're not really interested. If you score 35 or 50, you know, that's no good. It's better that you get out cheaply going for it because that's what we want sort of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valid take on it. I guess you just got to back the back the staff to to get it right. I mean, they've obviously engineered a fabulous situation for England in, in ODI cricket uh, from a really low starting point mm. uh to this place where england are the best side in the world and approaching a home world cup it's yeah i guess they've just got to keep their nerve through to the end of next summer or through to the end of june or june or july or whenever the world cup finishes and i'll give you i mean the worry is you know like we saw sort of with england at the the last rugby world cup in england just completely tanked mm. you'd hope it doesn't go that way yeah that maybe england have peaked you know that yeah, maybe they're peaking the too time. soon yeah well, there's no sign of that as yet, but I guess you just got to kind of hold your breath between now and next summer. I mean, Don't ter- jinx it. In terms of like the the coaching staff and the management and the people who have made this happen, I do think that Owen Morgan has been one of the most instrumental parts of England's success over the last few years. Now, you may have seen before the series started that he was asked whether he would consider leaving himself out of the team if he felt he was out of form in the World Cup. And he said that, yeah, he would, that, you know, he would have no qualms about doing that if he felt that that was the right thing for the team. What did you make of that? Do you think, firstly, do you think that he would or should? And secondly, I don't know, I just felt like it was a a bit of a weird moment to be asking Morgan that question. I don't know where, where, sort of where the question was coming from. Was it it was just asked in a press conference? Yeah, I mean, (sighs) famously Chandimal did it, didn't he? I think in a World T20, dropped himself. To me, I think the answer, though, to that question is fairly obvious. And what Morgan said is is the only way to answer it, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously, if you're in desperate form and you're, you know, you, can, you can't lay bat and ball, there's only one, you know, you've, you've, you'd have to look at it. But as you say, Morgan's going all right. You know, he top scored in the, the second ODI here. Uh, 650s this year. Yeah. Three centuries last year. And the wider role that he's played in, in getting England to this point uh, you know, he probably gets more leeway than some others. But yeah, I think that seems a fairly fair way for him to have answered it. And let's all move on. Yeah, I think you're right. Like if he, as you say, if he was so desperately out of form that he thought, well, there's just, he actually can't hold a bat at the moment, then it may come down to it. But I just thought it was a bit of a weird time to ask him that because he's actually been in quite good form and has been really, uh, really kind of key part of England's batting success over the last couple of years. And and as you say, everything he adds to the team as a captain, the sort of cool heads. Like I just think if it does come to a situation where he feels he has to drop himself, that is really bad news for England. So mm. yeah, it, that is a very much a last resort. I don't know how you've been consuming this series, Tone, whether you've been watching it on the television or, or listening to it. On, on both of England's tours this winter, the radio coverage is not on the BBC's Test Match special, but is on Talk Sports. And that could be the future for away tours going forward. The South Africa tour next year is the same. Have you heard any of the talk sport coverage so far? I can't say I have, to be honest. I mean, uh, talk sport's not something we sort of get naturally in Guernsey, is it? You would have to sort of seek it out. I suppose I could have sorted out. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard of an iPhone? Yeah. I suppose. Something called an app. I mean, I suppose in a a working environment, you know, the easiest way is just to, to kind of have quick info open in one tab to be honest I, I, I've been a bit wary about it but I listen, I've only listened to about 25 oh, minutes listening to talk sport at work <laughs> you know, about their coverage like before it happened I was a bit worried about what it might be like I, I only listened to half an hour or so uh, of that second ODI but it was good it was that's really been good. pretty yeah, well it was, received doesn't it yeah. I think yeah, the, 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 the fact that TMS or the, the fact that BBC yeah were beaten to the rights for this you know there's obviously so much goodwill for TMS, uh, but it's not, I don't, you know, as when cricket moved to Sky, you know, people aren't sort of going to deliberately kind of mess it up. I, I don't know. I think there's a sensitivity probably to to want to produce something decent. So I, I, probably the fears uh, or the fear and the, the outrage, the, dis, the dismay was maybe slightly overdone. Yeah. And, and they've got some really good people on there. I guess... Until like when it was announced, and it talks we didn't really have an extensive cricket team, I guess. So whether consciously or unconsciously, people are sort of imagining that it's going to be like Alan Brazil commentating <laughs> on it. But they've got some, you know, they've got Jared Kimber and Neil Manthorpe, and like very um, just r- a lot of really good 
people. And yeah, I've only listened to a small amount so far, but I thought it was good coverage. So um, this, it's what's particularly interesting is that uh, the BBC have responded to the fact they've lost the rights by putting together this thing called the Cricket Social, which is basically Test Match Sofa. It, it, it's essentially Test Match Sofa. They are in a studio watching the TV coverage and commentating as though they're doing TMS, but obviously in a studio in Salford rather than at the grounds. So there's no crowd noise or anything. But, and, and that is effectively Test Match Sofa, isn't it? Or Gorilla Cricket as it's now known, but with Agnew and the gang. Um, ha- have you listened to any of that, Tone? I've listened to a bit, but I've not actually listen to any of it where they've, there's been cricket on mm. uh, i've only been able to hear a few snippets during the, the during the delays well there hasn't been that much yeah, cricket exactly. on, to be so, fair, yeah. it's interesting yeah it's an interesting way to do it they're, they're like heavily promoted it yeah i mean the bbc seems to have more cricket outlets now than other things doesn't it what do you mean? They've got quite a few podcasts. Mm. I mean, not that I'm sort of you know bitter <laughs> or anything, uh, but they do. Yeah, they've. Got, I think they've got about three or four cricket podcasts, and then you know, this kind of coverage. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly. Uh, you know, it, I presume it will have more followers, more listeners than Talksport because mm. it's just that much more visible. I think you know people are more inclined to naturally visit the BBC Sport website for the news, and then and then you know if they didn't know was happening following from there rather than i, I don't know talk sport well i don't know I, I don't know what it's like in the uk so much in guernsey obviously it's, it's we've got a slightly different media landscape mm. uh but talk sport's pretty hidden you're a big figure on the media landscape here as well aren't you so you, you, you know if anyone knows what it looks like it's you yeah i i, I do find it really interesting I, I the whole concept of the cricket social like i i i don't know whether it's kind of walking a line legally but it is quite fascinating to me that you know talk sport have paid all this money for the rights and then the bbc as you say will definitely be getting more listeners for what they're doing than talk sport are getting for the live coverage and it's just interesting because you know i mentioned test match sofa and it effectively is test match sofa and nor dan norcross who obviously is part of the tms team now is the person who set up test match sofa but the beeb like threatened to take test match sofa to court some years ago because for exactly that reason that they they argued that it was illegal what they were doing, that it was treading on their coverage, that they'd paid all this money for the rights, and then someone was doing this and drawing listeners away from from them. And in fact, Test Match Sofa ceased to exist for precisely that reason. The cricketer bought Test Match Sofa, the cricketer magazine, I should say, bought Test Match Sofa, and eventually, like the ECB, well, the BBC through the ECB kind of pressured the cricketer to wind it up. And it's, you know, it came back immediately in a different form as guerrilla cricket. But I don't know. It's interesting. Like I, I, Things have obviously moved on since then, since the time when that happened, which was, I think, around 2012, 13, 14. Norcross is now part of TMS and it's, it's been sort of accepted in. But I do just feel like maybe a bit of humility would be nice from the BBC. Like they seem to be marketing this cricket social as some like, cool wacky like what a great new idea and Agni seems to be loving it but Agni like threatened well Agni said he'd never read the cricketer again that it was a disgrace what Test Match Sofa were doing and it this is exactly the same except worse because they've got the platform of Test Match Special behind them I don't know yeah no it's very interesting I mean I've seen a lot of tweets from the BBC and from sort of TMS uh, Twitter account you know promoting it not many of them have tried to draw me in yet I suppose the fact there's been not a huge amount of cricket but it's like oh you know Coming up shortly, Graham Swan's popping in to tell us about his dancing. It's like, not, I don't know, not, not too uh, overexcited about that. It's kind of all the worst things about Test Match Special, isn't it? And I love Test Match Special, but the, the things I don't like about it have been really kind of amplified for the cricket social, right? <laughs> and at the end of the day, Tane, who wants to listen to people talk about cricket on the internet? When there's no cricket actually happening. Exactly, without yeah, ball-by-ball coverage, no one wants to listen to people talk about cricket. It'll never work. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Samuel, there's been a big build-up to this. It's now time to reveal our post-Atherton England 11s. I should say, for anyone unaware, when we say post-Atherton, this is just kind of the, the term that we loosely and incorrectly applied to the era of cricket that we've been conscious of and watching and i say incorrectly because we describe it as post atherton but essentially we're talking about atherton and onwards sort of around 93 94 is when the two of us started watching cricket so the reason that we would do like a post atherton 11 is because i don't know about you i feel like i I can't really do an all-time 11 it just feels pointless to me like i'm sure you saw during the summer uh, the BBC did uh, vote like a poll for England's all-time greatest eleven, and Alistair Cook was in there. Kevin Peterson was in there. Joe Root was in there. Graham Swan, Jimmy Anderson. Like, yeah, it was basically half the team was people who were either still playing or had retired in the last couple of years. But inevitably, that's going to happen because people just vote for the players they've seen. Like, I can't really do. If I tried to put together an England eleven all time just feel like such a fraud being like, well, obviously Sydney Barnes has got to be in there. You know, it's just, it's absurd, isn't it? So, so yeah, whenever we do these kinds of things, we, we look at it in terms of the cricket that we've seen. And for us, that, as I say, starts around, well, the early 90s, basically, the Atherton era. So uh, a listener by the name of Hassan Amar on the last episode asked us to do a composite 11 of some variety because they are always fun. And I thought, you know, let's do the big one. The post-Atherton England 11. Um, And as I say, I think we may have done this before, but who remembers? And it may well have changed by now. So you've been putting together your team through the course of the podcast, Tone. You haven't really been paying attention to me. No, I've missed it all. But hey, I've got 11 names on a sheet of paper. You have got 11 names. I I reckon you should go first. Actually, how should we do this? Should we do... Do you you want to to just split it up? Sort of openers, middle order? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So my opener is Cook and Triscothic. I've gone for Cook and Strauss. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. An interesting start. Middle order next, three, four, and five. Ha- hang on. I've, I, I'll tell you the, like, the breakdown of my team. Uh, batsman one to five, then a wicketkeeper batsman, then an all-rounder, and then I've got one spinner and three fast bowlers. I've got the same. Okay. Yeah. So let's do three, four, and five next. What have you got? So three, four, and five. Trot, Thorpe, Peterson. Interesting. I've got Vaughan, Thorpe, and Peterson. So we've got three out of five the same so yeah. far. Wicket keeper? Keeper, Alex Stewart. Same. Yeah, gotta be. Pretty straightforward, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. All rounder? Flintoff. Same. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, spinner? Swan. Same. Uh, and then th- maybe we're just too similar. <laughs> three fast bowlers. <laughs> I've gone Jones, Caddick, Anderson. Jones is a big shout. <laughs> Jones, who played what fifteen tests or something. But I want it like I want him. You know, the question 
said an 11 to win you a match, the, the 11 that you'd want out there to win you a match. So in sort of peak Jones, he'd be my, he's my wild card. Well, peak Jones, you're literally talking about 2005 Ashes. Yeah. So it, and he didn't play the last one, so it's yeah. four tests. Yeah, exactly. So Jones in those four tests, yeah. you think is the best or one of the three well, best. I'd have him as my, yeah, I'd have him in there. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I get like, yeah, him in that series is arguably the best England bit of fast bowling that I've seen in the, in the way that Mitchell Johnson in the 2013 Ashes is, you know, that was one of the best fast bowling performances over a series that I've ever seen. Um, but it's hard to put him in the team ahead of the two of the guys that I've got. Well, I also wanted, uh, I, I felt like I wanted to have a bit of a, a differentiator, a differential from me, from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I, so I thought I, you'd be a bit predictable. You see, I've so. got Anderson as well. Yeah. Uh, I've gone for Goff ahead of Caddick and Matthew Hoggard. Yeah, you may remember a few years ago, uh, keep talking about the BBC today, but I think they did a, they tried to do some kind of like scientific uh, study of who's the best England bowler ever based on not just number of wickets and average and strike rate and all of that, but who they were getting out, what the match situation was, et cetera, et cetera. And they came up with Hoggard as the best of all time. That's uh, awesome. Oh, he was a brilliant player, obviously. But yeah, that was it. You know, Anderson and Hoggard opening the bowling, swinging the ball around. Anderson can get a reverse swing, and then you've got Goff and Flintoff coming on uh, to sort of it's tasty. rough it up, rough it's them tasty. up a bit, and then Swan as the spinner as well. I've got, I, this is, I've definitely got a nostalgic view of Caddick for sure. I mean, he was obviously a brilliant bowler, but when I think of like England bowlers doing damage, I, I, I think of Caddick. It's interesting. I mean, it's you know, it's hard. Well, I certainly watched more cricket in the 2000s than I did in the 90s. Uh, but w- when you look at the list of the players who kind of w- were around in the 90s, it is harder to... Obviously, England weren't as good, but it's it's harder to, to find players in. And, and neither of us picked Atherton. Is it a post-Atherton or is it does it include Atherton? I don't know. Well, it includes Atherton in theory. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that Atherton doesn't make it into the post-Atherton 11. Well, I because I'm that sad and have literally nothing better to do, I put together a second 11 as well team uh, which includes some of the names that you had and I didn't in that first team so Atherton is in my second 11 so I've got Triscothic and Atherton then Trot, Root, Hussain Stokes as the all-rounder uh, then Pryor as the wicketkeeper Ashley Giles and then Broad, Caddick and Harmison so I mean there's tw- like between the 22 names I've got there that's more or less every good England player yeah, exactly. <laughs> over the last 25 years but I was thinking like, oh, which, you know, who would win out of those two teams that I've got? And I, it won't surprise you to hear that I think the first team will win. But it would be, it would be a good game. Um, I think uh, probably I'm, the bowling attack is just a bit stronger in that first team. Flintoff, Anderson, Hoggard, Goff, Swan. Yeah, and no place for Hick either. Mm, true. Neither, All neither round cash. No uh, place for Aftab Habib. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I mean, you know, like Root potentially could end his career. Uh he definitely in that will top be. eleven, yeah. But just at the moment, yeah, he, he he's kind of, yeah, he's he's dipped off enough for me not to include him. Mm. Uh, and I did want to have a little bit of, you know, I was trying to make a bit more of a spread of of the eras and separate myself slightly from you. So there's my thinking. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking back through my team, and yeah, you say like the '90s was not as strong an era. I've got Thorpe, like in terms of sort of classic '90s players, I've got Thorpe, Stewart, and Goff. But that's it. The majority are from sort of mid to late noughties, is where at their best, or mid noughties to early whatever this decade is, when they were at their peak. Cook, Strauss, Peterson, Flintoff, Swan. I mean, it's somewhat scary to think we're now approaching the end of this decade. Yeah. Rapidly approaching the end of this decade, because I don't know, when you look back at the, the 2000s players, there's a real clear identity there. And there's, I, I don't know, this decade seems to have sort of drifted somewhat a bit in cricketing terms for England. We had I think, a, well, obviously, if you put a, a limited overs team together, this decade's team would, it would be dominated by this decade's team. And actually, interestingly enough, I did consider putting, uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct, the correct expression, yeah. uh, but I did think about putting Butler in, actually. Wow. Yeah, which would have been a really strong call. <laughs> I do think we did, I can't remember what, when it was or for what purpose, but I think we did a, no, I'll tell you when it was, and this is scary tone, particularly when you say we're coming towards the end of this decade. We did, on this podcast, we did an 
end of the decade composite 11 for the last decade uh so yeah that is really scary isn't it that that we're still bloody doing this but we did a yeah team of the decade and you talk about interesting calls that you made you had triscothic as your wicket keeper did you listen back to it? <laughs> no, I just remember. Because it was so gobsmackingly idiotic <laughs> that I still remember my reaction when you were like, I've given Triscothic the gloves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, You're an idiot. I think th- th- he did keep wicket very occasionally. <laughs> he left out Gilchrist. Was that, what was it? Hang on, was it a, a all, uh, all world? No, it was, was it a, a world, it was 11? A world 11. A yeah. world composite. Okay. <laughs> that was a brave call. Much like the Brexit negotiations. No, I don't want to talk about Brexit. Um, It's the end of the show, Tone. Have you enjoyed this one? Yeah, it's been good. What's going on this week? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) What is happening? Tell you what, I'm feeling feeling decidedly sorry for myself this week, Tone, because I have hurt my back. Oh. And it's actually really quite painful. You know, because I'm a professional, I haven't let it come through in my podcasting today. Uh, But it's also like, it's such a stupid injury. I hurt my back bodyboarding. (laughs) I don't think it's the first time you've got a a, a somewhat semi-serious injury bodyboarding. It may not be. I think this is the most serious injury I've got bodyboarding. But also I think it's like... Like it's it's a slightly weird one to, you know when I was, I'm hobbling around and like people are working like oh well, you're right what's the matter and I have to tell them yeah because like it's it's quite a sort of revealing injury about my like life situation because you know other people our age hurt their backs but it's usually because they're you know they're like moving house and carrying yeah, a heavy or, box or they're or they've throwing hold, their six-year-old yeah around. they've been holding their child <laughs> for too long uh, but I was bodyboarding <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's actually really painful. So it's I'm, like yeah, it's like the sort of uh, what sort of springs to mind when people have gout or that kind of ailment. It's a yeah. lifestyle injury. Isn't yeah, it? it's exactly. a lifestyle ailment. Yeah, you're just a big child. Yeah, it's uh, it's unpleasant. So I'm gonna have to go to the doctor. I think that bad. Yeah, I actually think I might have slipped a disc or something. It really hurts. <laughs> Sorry for laughing. <laughs> my problem tone is that I don't know my own limits. I just went for a wave that was too big. There's probably some sort of, you know, amateur philosophers on social media who have made memes about bodyboarding and aiming for the big mm. waves. And just keep going. Well, just I don't think that, I will keep when going. When that next big wave comes along, get on it. I don't think I will. <laughs> it's really put me up. I, yeah, I've sort of flipped over the front of my board and just like jarred my back. Are you going to oh. be right for paddle next no, Thursday? No, I don't think I am. I think I'm going to be out for a while. Do you think? Mm. Well, who are going to get in? <laughs> I don't know. Suddenly you seem interested. So... That's reckless. I'm going to have to draw up a contract for our paddle team, I think. I mean, hopefully I'll be better, but it seems to be getting worse rather than better. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. It'll get worse before it gets better, I'm sure. I just want some sympathy, really, Tony. You'll be fine. Thanks. Um, All right. Well, assuming that um, I don't end up bedridden, uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with a full preview of England's test series in Sri Lanka. And hopefully the weather out there will be looking a bit better. But until then, if you'd like to get more involved in the World Cricket Show, we're on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show. We're on Twitter at cricket show. We're on Instagram at world cricket show. Uh, and if you'd like to support the show, there's various ways you can do that. You can support us financially. Go to our website, which is cricketshow.net, and follow the links there to Patreon uh, and to Amazon, where you can support the show just by doing your regular Amazon shopping. And if you don't want to spend any money, that's fair enough. But one of the, uh, an equally great thing that you can do is to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. And speaking of podcasts, we do have other podcasts, uh, including a podcast about movies. There's a brand new episode of the Little Film Podcast about A Star Is Born out this week. And there's another one which is in the can, just needs editing, uh, about First Man. And you were on that one, Tone. You went to see First Man and then raced over straight away from the cinema, just rushing again. Yeah, from one calmly rushing, as you put it. Uh, yeah, no, it's good, actually. I've been to the cinema more times this year, probably, than I have in about a decade mm. or more, which is good. Is that purely because of the podcast? Yeah, that's the whole reason, I think. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, check it out. Just search on your podcast platform of choice. All right, well, that's it. I think stay in school, everyone. Thanks for having me, Tone. 
Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And I'll see you next time. Great. Bye for now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.